Welcome to Perspectives with Dr. Vadisha Patel. Do you sometimes feel alone in life with personal and interpersonal struggles and challenges? We'll show you that you are not alone and that you can learn and thrive from your challenges and thereby live a healthy life. Now, here is your host, Dr. Vadisha Patel. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Perspectives. I'm your host, Dr. Vidisha Patel. In my life and in my work, I focus on the importance of feelings, relationships, and living from our heart. Today's guest is someone very special. He's someone who teaches us how to lead from our hearts by using the example of wolves. Teo Alfaro states that our hearts are already abundant, already progressive, loving, inclusive, giving, generous, and collaborative. It's just that we rarely lead from that place. We rarely trust that place. So according to Teo, this is what wolves teach us, to lead from our hearts. Teo Alfaro is born and raised in Argentina. He came to the U.S. in 1999 and has been studying and working with wolves and using some of the knowledge he's learned to help young people with guidance and mentoring. His book that has recently been published is called The Wolf Connection. Teo is here today to share some of the wisdom he's learned through his work and how we can apply it to our lives as well. Welcome, Teo, and thank you so much for joining me on Perspectives today. Thank you, Vidisha. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. So, Teo, um, I think you have a very interesting story about how you came to do the work you do. So I was hoping that you would explain your journey to us a little bit so we can understand how you came to work with wolves, how you came to the U.S. Sure, sure. Uh, you know, many times people uh, go through their lives with a quote-unquote plan. Um, right. And yeah, that wasn't the case for me. Uh, you're talking <laughs> about following, following your heart. And I can only conclude that the heart plans is way in ways that the mind cannot understand. So... For my mind, there wasn't a plan. It was just a series of events that were surprising me, that were um, unexpected, that were uh, mind-blowing. You know, on practical practical terms, I, I've been working with young people for a long time, about 20 years. And yeah. at one point, I was looking for a more powerful way to engage them, especially... Uh, kids that, that carry a lot of trauma and abuse in their heart, uh, typically in foster care or uh, with drug addictions or uh, the gang members, and those are the, 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 the kids I've been working with. And I was looking for a more powerful way to engage them. Parallel to that, I'm offered uh, a wolf dog puppy uh, to, for, for rescue if I, you know, with a such situation and this six-weeks-old puppy needs a home, and I rejected her several times. It was offered to me. <laughs> and several times, I, I, I said, no, I'm busy, I'm lecturing, I'm traveling and teaching, and I don't have the time for a, for a pet. And, of course, this little six-weeks-old puppy, uh, being all heart, uh, had a different plan. And um, I reluctantly, you know, she she didn't have a good situation. Reluctantly, I ended up accepting her, adopting her, and and it, it you know the first night that I had her in my house, I I put her in the in the kitchen with with water and a pee pee pad and I lock her up there. I didn't want her to pee all around the house. <laughs> and around one one in the morning, she begins howling, 
uh, she begins howling and, and the howl pierced through the house and, and cracked my heart open in a way that I could um, I could never be apart from her anymore. And and that was the beginning. Then a couple of years later, looking for a, a playmate for her, I came across 16 wolves and wolf dogs um, coming from a hoarder facility. I, again, you know, all, all animal rescue stories typically... Uh, sad and I'm full of pain and abuse, and this wasn't different. Um, and and I, my my guy, my heart went out to these animals. I could not leave them. And within a few months, I decided to take them all in. And and without having any idea wow. how to work, with wolves. yeah, I had no idea how to work with wolves. I had no idea how to start, let alone run a nonprofit organization, or fundraise, any of that. And and none of that was a consideration. I mean, those are the things that would scare the mind, right? I don't know how right. to do this. I don't know how to do that. I don't have experience. I don't have the knowledge. The heart goes like, forget about all that. We'll be fine. <laughs> and and we were. That was ten years ago. And and today's a thriving nonprofit. We have rescued about eighty wolves since we started. Um, I currently have thirty five at the ranch that are extraordinary beings and ambassadors in the human world. So before you go on, though, I just wanted to uh, clarify something because I know in your book you also talk about it and you mentioned it here, wolf dog versus wolf. Can you just clarify the difference? Sure. So so we rescue wolves and wolf dogs. When I say wolves, it's a, it's a pure wolf. It's a, you know like the one you see in the wild. A okay. wolf dog... It's a mix of wolves and dogs that are, uh, you know, artificially bred. You know, they're breeding facilities across the country, and they keep playing with the with the genetics. You have uh, an animal that acts a little bit more doggy, but still looks like a wolf. So it's a you know very wolf looking, a little bit doggy acting animal. So, and are their characteristics very different then? And do they interact well with each other? Yeah, yeah, they do. They do. I mean, the the wolf instincts are very much alive and and, and present. And then the uh, you know since since the the genetic composition of these wolf dogs is it can vary from you know eighty five, eighty, ninety percent wolves to five percent wolves. The personalities, looks, behaviors are extremely diverse. Okay. So I think it's um, impressive that you took in a wolf dog into your home because um, you're right. If you had, well, when you did think about it, <laughs> your your mind told you not to do it. Um, right. And when you just let your heart decide for you, that's when you made that decision, right? Sure, sure. And of course, I mean, I had no clue of what the animal I was taking in. And, and in my case, played in my favor. It's most cases of people trying to buy or adopt a wolf dog, which, by the way, is illegal in most places. Um, you know, it usually backfires, and that's why we're constantly rescuing animals. These are animals that are illegal pets. They are uh, they come from fur farms where they're being raised for the pelt. Um, in zoos, you know, different different uh, different sad situations. Wow. And so how did you, when you took in that fur, when you were looking for the playmate for your original wolf dog, you said you took in a pack of 
16 or some number, how did you have space for them? And where did, do you live? You must I, live I, in a I, place. <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't. No, I didn't. I had, I had, a, I had a, a, a nice house in Culver City, California, you know, in a suburb of L.A. And um, so I found these 16 wolves. They were already living in a dog rescue center. So when I decided to to uh, take over their care and their training and their well-being, I I continued taking care of them on that um, dog rescue center. And within a few months, I found a piece of land that I could lease and uh, build new enclosures, habitat, and move the entire pack over. So it was about a, a you know a year-long process. That's that's an amazing story. That and what what happens to the wolves? You said you've uh, taken in over eighty over the course of is it over the course of the last ten years? Um, what what happens to them? Uh, do you well, give I, them to other people or? No, no, no. We don't. We don't adopt out. When once they come to us, they leave their lives with us. Okay. So I, I currently have I currently have thirty five at the ranch, and all the other ones passed away over the years. Oh, uh, okay. And how long do they typically yeah. live? Oh, uh, it varies. Um, look, in the wild, where wolves are protected, like in national parks, they typically live five to eight years. In in areas where wolves are hunted, they live two to four years. Uh, in in at my ranch, they live twelve to twenty. Oh, that's great. So, tell me how. Your work evolved from bringing in these wolves to actually noticing that there was something more to be, that your mission was something bigger than just taking them in. Well, I mean, I, I, I dedicated my life uh, to, to raising consciousness for, for humans uh, on the planet. Um, I... I, I I continue studying the human condition and human behavior. That's, that's a passion of mine. Uh, um, so when I first came in, ta- in contact, well, first with my, my first animal and then with a pack of 16, I, I quickly realized the effect they were having on me. I mean, my, I, I was more focused. I was more energized. I was more heart open. I was clear. I was uh, on mission. And, and it, the, the difference was, uh, was evident. So I, all kinds of now programmatic questions and programmatic ideas start coming up for me. Uh, shortly after, I invite uh, some uh, teens, some young people that I was working with at the time from several schools that I, I was lecturing at, and they came to visit the walls, and, and I began watching... Uh, kids that were typically shut down, distant, uh, you know, um, you know, ex- extremely introvert or acting up, beginning to center, center down, beginning to ground, beginning to naturally smile, which is big for them, beginning to take a deep breath, beginning to share their story, beginning to open their heart. And that was just the encounter. That wasn't, I mean, I didn't even have a curriculum at that point. So when I saw that, I was like, "What? Well, maybe this is this is what I was looking for." And I began. I mean, I knew how to put a a, a, a class course together and a curriculum together. So I, I began developing some simple lessons uh, and uh, and attaching them to experiential activities, so these young people could come, 
uh, and translate what they were feeling into into words first and then into actions in their life. So when you first brought the the young people to the farm, it was literally just to see what it was like, what the wolves were like, and to meet them. It was what what was your intention when you first brought them? Well, my initial my initially my intention I was um, like I said I was working already with these youth, so I invited right. them over. I invited them over to do something cool. To do, uh, okay. to to create some bonding between them and me, and to you know visit walls, who can take note to that. So I was creating an opportunity for for uh, team building and bonding. Um, and then I began uh, witnessing not only the magic of the human animal connection, but then furthermore the 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 deep deep uh, the activation of a, of an ancestral memory in our relationship with walls. So the wolf, and then and then I began research. I'm like, what is it that I'm witnessing? I'm like, you know, I, I could see the effect. I could feel it in myself. And then I went out. Then I had to explain to start explaining it to school administrators, to foster care agencies, to politicians, to uh, foundations uh, to to provide funding. And it was not going to be well. They can open your heart. I mean, they would not answer. You know, they would not go for right. that. So I had right. to find a way to explain it. And now, now that the heart was leading. I had to find a way to re-engage the mind and explain it to the mind in a way that people could understand it and justify. So then uh, that led to all the research that is is, uh, is in the book that has to do with, you know, mythology, anthropology, indigenous culture, rituals, um, behavioral walls in the, in the wild, and, and, and then beginning to find the similarities between walls and human behavior, and that... And that led into an, what is today a very comprehensive, uh, you know, course, you know, curriculum that that we teach at the ranch over a number of weeks. Well, it's um, I like what you said. Actually, it's in your book. It says, "Like wolves, humans are social beings, but unlike wolves, we often don't treat each other with the respect we all deserve." Rather, we create intentionally or unintentionally negative experiences for ourselves or for others some of which can lead to temporary or lasting trauma. And for that reason, dealing with other humans can be challenging. So I find it interesting that you started with that. You did make that, you make that statement, and then you see that work, these bringing these young people to be with the wolves. And it's, I understand the need for the research, but I, I, I guess I'm more impressed with the fact that just bringing them into their present, into the presence of the wolves um, opened up this, portal of uh, loving energy if if you could call it that um i agree, and i agree and you you would say that would that would that would be sufficient to convince anybody unfortunately <laughs> human beings we are a very confused very complicated species so we need to bring all the research around in order to uh give it a even a consideration yeah exactly yeah it's that's true i think for the you have to somehow balance the um, the spiritual and uh, emotional world with the practical world when it when you're trying to build something or create something. But I'm particularly impressed with um, with this emotional connection that came about. 
Um, and on that note, we're going to go to a short commercial break. So please stay tuned. We're talking to Teo Alfaro of the Wolf Connection. If you have questions or comments, you can email me, Dr. Vidisha Patel at drvforkids at yahoo.com. So stay tuned. We will be right back. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Have you stopped to think seriously about hypnosis? Hypnosis can set you on your way to better health, can free you from anxiety, phobias, and so much more. Join host Inez Simpson for Hypnosis Everywhere, Inez Simpson and the Simpson Protocol. This show is for anyone from the experienced hypnotist practitioner to the merely curious. Inez Simpson offers tools and insights from the whole world of hypnosis with guests and open discussions. Hypnosis Everywhere, The Simpson Protocol, airs live every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time, on Voice America Health & Wellness. Do you feel that you aren't at your best when it comes to your personal health? Even if your doctor gives you a clean bill of health and says everything is in working order, perhaps you aren't feeling at the top of your game. Dr. Rebecca Risk overcame pain and fatigue despite all tests to the contrary. Learn how she put her health back on track and how you can too on Falling Through the Cracks. Live every Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. Step into a healthier you. Voice America Health & Wellness. You are tuned into Perspectives with Dr. Vadisha Patel. If you would like to reach the show today, please call into 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email directly to Dr. Patel at drv4kids at yahoo.com. That's Dr. V, the number four, kids at yahoo.com. Now, back to Perspectives. Welcome back to Perspectives. I'm your host, Dr. Vidisha Patel, and I'm here in conversation with Teo Alfaro, author and wolf whisperer, if I, if I may call you that, Teo. Um, you know, in your, in your book, Teo, The Wolf Connection, you talk about the nine realms, and that's sort of your structure for the book. So I was hoping that you could uh, walk us through at least some of those realms, if not, if we can't get through all of them. Absolutely. Yeah, so I call them realms. It's really uh, it, um, it, uh, five cognitive areas um, that you can use to, to establish a relationship or refer to walls. I mean, most people... You know, you say wolf, and most people think of the wild animal, hunting deer and elk, which is accurate. And then, but for me, there's a lot other dimensions, if you will, about what a wolf means to humans. Right. Uh, so, 
the, I divided the wall, the, the book. I mean, the book is almost like nine, nine little books in one book because the, the, the each realm is very diverse. Uh, so the first realm has to do with awakening the heart, right? So okay. I call it the wolf, the wolf, the wolf heart awakening, which I, I, I equate the word wolf with the word wild. And, and, um, and so the, you know, the, like you said earlier, as you opened the show, the, I, I define the heart as, uh, as wild and open and, and collaborative and generous and, and creative and, and uh, adventurous already. So nothing that needs, the heart doesn't need fixing. We don't need to go and fix the heart. You know, we just right. need to trust it. Right. Uh, so and I, put it as, I put it first in the book because if, if the heart is not open, if the heart is not connected, uh, we almost don't have a game. I mean, it's a, life is a constant struggle if you don't have some degree of heart, heart connection. Right. So then I go on to um, uh, talk about the the, um, the wolf ambassadors, the ambassador wolves, which are really uh, the stories that have to do with the... Uh, you know the the experiences that I that I directly witnessed at Wolf Connection Ranch with the wolves sh- working working with the kids. Yeah. Can you share a story with the listeners? Is there one particular one? Yeah, absolutely. One? Okay. Absolutely. One of my favorites is a uh, is a young man that we are going to call Michael that um, that came. I mean, he I, I he's very present for me because. In addition to having great great transformation, he um, he really touched me. A personal, we, we developed a a, a deep uh, bond. So he was uh, fourteen or, 16, or fifteen years old when he came to Wolf Connection, and he was in foster care and and about to be uh, transferred to a higher level of security, you know, level of uh, level of security. And the reason was that he was uh, aggressive, he was violent. Mm-hmm. And he, he attacked his caretakers, he, uh, he punched holes on the wall, threw computers out the window, and he was sent to Wolf Connection at the last resort. Okay. You know, for those of your listeners that don't know how the foster care system works, there are different levels of care. Some kids are placed in homes in, in, with families, some, some kids are in group homes, and some kids are in facilities that resemble some cases like a medium to high level security prison. You know, they have cells and they have doors and they have, uh, you know, buzzers and security personnel and so on. So, um, uh, so he was about to, Mike was about to be moved to, to that level of care. Okay. So he came to Wolf Connection. He came with his own uh, chaperones or, you know, security guards because again, he was, uh, he was violent. And he very quickly, uh, you know, usually our, our visits start with doing a walkthrough, the walls enclosures, and then sharing some stories. So uh-huh. through the story of the wall, through the, yeah, through the story of the wall, we create the connection, and these young people begin to relate to the wall through the story. So um, he immediately connects with a wolf named Kira that had a very rough path when she came to us, she was, she had chunks of her ears missing, broken teeth. I mean, you can tell that, that she was beaten up badly by, and repeatedly 
and she was living in a, under the floor and under a porch, um, you know, and and she was moved from different, you know, placements and rescues. So he connected with her deeply and began establishing a relationship of uh, mutual trust and mutual healing. So the days that, that Michael was supposed to come to the ranch was the only day that he would make his bed, brush his teeth, get out of bed in time, eat his breakfast, do his homework. Because, I mean, those were all conditions for him to be allowed back uh, at, at, the, at the ranch. So right. he was in his best, best behavior. And the reason, and, and his caretakers asked him what was happening, and he said, well, if I don't do these things, I cannot go see Kira. And Kira needs me. She's waiting for me. Right? I need to, you know. So um, it became this, she felt responsible for Kira's, Kira's uh, uh, healing and, and, you know, and his own, ultimately. So long story short, within a couple of weeks of um, starting the program, he, he took an interest in, in repairing, fixing things. He was very active with his hands. So he asked me to teach him how to use tools, how to cut lumber, and how to uh, fix a, a fence for the walls. So we began doing some, some small projects together, him and I. And he moved to power tools, and then he, we began cutting a trail through the forest together. And you should have seen the face of these caretakers watching Michael uh, with a machete <laughs> in his hand. I mean, they, they could not believe that this violent, aggressive young man was trusted with, with that kind of tool. And he never, never betrayed that trust. He was always uh, proper and respectful and following direction. Uh, so over time, he asked his uh, caretakers at the group home he was in to buy him a utility tool. So here is Michael now walking around the group home with a belt that has a hammer and a screwdrivers and pliers and nails and screws, you know, fixing the stuff that he was breaking before and That's being a role model for his peers and putting the trash in the trash can and fixing a, you know, a squeaky window. And I mean, he, the transformation, I mean, the, the, the director of the group home came to me saying, you know, what, you know, what did, you know, who is this guy and what did you do with the real Michael? So, that's, yeah, that's was, just that's a beautiful story. That's just amazing, and it it speaks to me about the power of relationship. So, in my therapeutic private practice, that's the basis of the work I do. I feel that we must have a relationship to build that trust, and yeah. so I think this is just a beautiful um, example of how you are using this relationship with, with the wolves or amongst the wolves to, to help young people. Sure. sure. Yeah. No, I mean, look, we are, uh, uh, you, you read it, uh, the passage in the book, we are social beings just like the wolves are without a, a, a deep bonding, a relationship, like you say, we really have, I mean, there's all kinds of trauma and you know, emotional and neurological disconnect that can happen without relationships. Right. And so can you continue on and tell us a little bit more about sure. the other realms that you talk about? 
Sure, sure. So then after showing a few a few um, stories of uh, interventions at the ranch, we go on to explain why is that. So the third the third uh, uh, realm is about the ancestral connection. We we'll call it ancestral wolf, and it really represents all the anthropological and um, and co-evolutionary biology science that with theories that talk about wolf and human coevolution and the way we have been uh, helping each other, learning from each other, supporting each other through thousands and thousands of years of coevolution. So, so some biologists now believe that our connection with wolves resides, we have a memory of that connection in our DNA, in our genetic uh, makeup. So uh-huh. my theory is that when, when these young people, anybody in, in reality, Camps uh, in contact with the wolves at the ranch are in their presence. This ancestral memory is activated and acts as a, as a factory reset, if you will, because this memory is, is prior to language, prior to modern civilization, prior to all this socialized learned behavior that gets, you know, very often in the way. So is it like a trigger then that when when you see the wolves interacting or wandering around on your ranch that it it just triggers this memory? Is that how you think it works? Yeah, it's, uh, I, I you know when you say it triggers, sometimes people think about you know when you're triggered and they are reactive. Uh, the the process um, it's a it's a very sublime, very soft heart-opening process, so it's very uh, gentle in a way, but extremely mm-hmm. powerful. Yeah, I can I can imagine it must be. Um, because, yes, I mean, I do, I do believe that there is this uh, ancestral link to wolves, and that's certainly part of the Native American tradition. Is it, is it also, do you find it in, um, in Argentina and in other parts of South America as well? No, not really. Uh, the, the wolf is a, is a species, a North, northern hemisphere species. So they, you find uh, wolf traditions and wolf mythology all throughout the northern hemisphere. So not not only the first, you know, first nations of North America, but also uh, you know indigenous peoples of Europe and Siberia, Asia, Middle East. Uh, they have all kinds of uh, wolf creation stories and so on. That said, there are some wolf legends in South America and coming from Argentina, but that, uh, those legends came with the European immigrants. It was okay. not in, indigenous from the area. Okay. So really, you would not have discovered this if you hadn't come to the U.S.? <laughs> No, and I gotta say, I mean, I'm, I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm third generation Argentinian, but my family is of Italian descent on both sides, and uh-huh. Italy has a long history, including, you know, the founders of Rome being, being uh, nursed by a she wolf. So Italy has a long history of a uh, relationship with wolves, and I would imagine um, maybe something in my ancestry that that got activated at some point. Who knows? Right. Interesting. Okay, I didn't mean to interrupt you on your discussion of the realms, so I'll let you carry on. <laughs> sure, sure. No, yeah. Um, and, and and then I go on to uh, explain, uh, you know, the human wolves. Uh, the you know basically how wolves can be a mirror 
people what resides in our hearts. So then you have people that really love and are passionate about walls. And that's, uh, I like to say, well, that's really what you have in your heart. And there are uh, people that, uh, you know, have this, this abhorrence, you know, of wolves, and that uh, is reflecting something in them that is not yet resolved. So, um, uh, and then I go into a more esoteric, more energetic piece, you know, around six, really goes into um, basically what started the book. You know, a few years back, I had a, a you know, I, I, I'm a practitioner of shamanistic, of shamanistic tradition, and I had a, 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 um, a dream vision with uh, the wolves downloading a message that, you know, explained their sustainability, their message to humanity, um, uh, let me know that they've been with us for, for the longest time, and they also said that I could not keep these messages for myself. I had to share them. So the book was really the result of that download that I received. And then I go on to, to ask myself, okay, well, I got this very powerful download that is life-changing, life-transforming for me, has all this practical and powerful information. Have any other people received this kind of download in the past? And the answer is yes. I'm not the first one or the only one to have received Wolf wisdom in different ways over the years, and they are they are um, uh, proof of that in many many uh, traditions around the world. And then I go on to say, well, what have they done with these messages? And they put these messages in their way of living, in their traditions, in their rites of initiation, in their legends, and that that chapter eight, you know, the 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 uh, the. Uh, traditional and the and the ritualistic walls, um, and then I close the book, chapter nine, with a a set of uh, simple practical tools that people can uh, apply in order to connect with this uh, wolf way. And have you connected with other people who have this wolf connection um, that you talk about? That you said that you know there are other people who have the connection. Have you? Have they come to you, or have you met them anywhere? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, in fact, I, I quote some of them in the book. I mean, I, uh, I, you know, some uh, indigenous leaders, some medicine men from the Pacific Northwest. You know, they they call themselves the Wolf People, the Dene tribes, and Nukchak and uh, Navajos, uh, Apaches. So there are different different tribes that have a very strong uh, wolf mythology that comes. Um, you know, they have their own origins. I mean, scientifically speaking, those mythology comes down from Siberian ancestors, migrated down into Europe, into Asia, through the um, Bering uh, Line Bridge, and into North America, and they've been carrying these uh, ancestral um, wolf stories. And then uh, there are people that are, uh, you know, the book has brought about a lot of people that, that have this, you know, I don't know what it is. I mean, they say things like this. I don't know what it is, but I'm crazy about wolves. You know, I mean, I, I all my life, I mean, I, you know, my 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 uh, bedroom wall growing up is full of big wolf pictures and so on. So those are, uh, in many ways, people carrying this wolf uh, the way the Native Americans say it, the wolf medicine in their right. heart. Right. 
That's really interesting. So um, I want to talk some more about this and and get into your wolf principles as well. But we're at this point, we're going to go to a short commercial break. So don't go away. We'll be right back to talk some more about the wolf connection and how we as humans can learn from their interactions and how they can help us. I'm here with Teo Alfero. This is Dr. Vidisha Patel, and we will be right back. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Frankly Speaking About Cancer is a program designed to empower survivors and their caregivers to deal with the social and emotional challenges of cancer. The show will invite physicians, researchers, nurses, social workers, patients, and caregivers to share their advice on how to live a better life with cancer. Join host Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community, Tuesday afternoons at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Can grief be good for you? Absolutely. It gets your attention, helping you evaluate your choices and relationships. Your losses define who you are. Tune in each week for Good Grief with host Cheryl Jones. Our show features those who have made incredible transformations by grieving their losses. You'll learn how to find your courage and strength. You'll discover the important things in your life and how to let go of things that are less important. Good Grief airs live Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Steps to a healthier you. Voice America Health & Wellness. You are tuned into Perspectives with Dr. Vadisha Patel. If you would like to reach the show today, please call into 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email directly to Dr. Patel at drv4kids at yahoo.com. That's Dr. V, the number four, kids at yahoo.com. Now, back to Perspectives. Welcome back to the last segment of our show today. You're listening to Perspectives. I'm your host, Dr. Vidisha Patel. Please get in touch with me via email at drv4kids at yahoo.com. I'd love to hear any questions or comments you may have. I'm here with Teo Alfaro, author and expert on wolves and how their social interactions mirror much of the way we as humans interact. So, Teo, before the break, you were telling us about the nine realms, which is basically the structure of the way you've written your book, The Wolf Connection. Um, But you you talk about the wolf principles, and I'm assuming that those are the principles that you teach when people come to you for your, for, um, I guess, for healing. Um, Is that right? What exactly are those principles? Yeah, that, that is right. I mean, uh, the principles are laid out on, on the ninth, uh, last chapter of the book. And, um, and the principles are, what I aim to achieve with those principles is 
to have very simple one-statement uh, lessons that these kids can incorporate. Um, as you know in your, from your practice, uh, young people that come with severe trauma, many times that trauma impairs their um, cognitive abilities, their thinking process, their uh, uh, emotional intelligence, and so on. So, and also many times also the ability to focus for long periods of time. So, right. I I wrote I wrote these principles in a very simple way that in one sentence they get an idea and then they go over the walls and they experience that idea in a way that they can incorporate it. For example, the, the first wall principle says that walls are okay with who they are. Right? Very <sighs> simple, and that can take a lifetime of practice. Right. And the, the meaning of that principle is not that you like who you are or where you are in your life. What that means is that, you know, humans, we, again, like I said before, we are complicated creatures, and we tend to um, put a lot of statements of value on situations. Let's say, you know, for a young person can be, um, I missed, uh, I failed a test. Right? Right. I failed a test. At, and then the, the, the fact is that you failed the test. But then uh, they the, the put meanings around it. So I failed the test because I'm, a, I'm, I'm stupid, I'm a loser. I'm not going to amount on anything. I'll never get a job. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end up homeless, right? So right. none of those things actually happened. What happened was you missed the test. So the principle, the whole principle of being okay with who you are or wh- where you are means that, okay, I missed the test. I, I failed the test. I'm going to just take a deep breath, be okay with that, and see how do I go from there. So the principle, what it does is becomes, it uh, um, helps with, uh, um, uh, sobri- sobriety process and then with an economy of thought and energy that can be reapplied somewhere else. So I'm um, not sure if you'll be able to explain this or not, but I love that principle because it is so important that that that's a basic starting point, I think, that we need to be okay with where we are. But how do you have a story of how you might have been able to teach that principle to a particular young person with the wolves? Sure, sure. Look, um, so we um, we do it in different ways. The easiest is that they go. We explain to them a little bit of what I just told you, and then we go. We go spend time with the wolves, and then you see a wolf that is big. Uh, that is uh, another one small. Another one is gray. The other one is brown. The other one is white. The other one is, you know, uh, dark, and um, and they all seem completely. Some of them are strong. Some of them are weaker. Some of them are old. Some of them are young. Um, so one of them, Annie, has three legs, right? So uh-huh. Annie is a great teacher of being okay with who you are because Annie, uh, you know, it's like no one ever, no one told her that she had three legs. I mean, she runs around and she plays and she goes on top of rocks and off rocks. And then when she gets tired of popping around, she has, she has only one leg in the front. She Uh flops down and passes out and rests and then wakes up and then starts moving around. Like, again, no one ever told her that she had three legs. And of course, you know, when I, when I first got it, I'm like, oh, I know, I, I felt bad for her. And, 
And then, and then you know, we look at each other with the, with our team, and we go, "Don't you dare be, you know, uh, be pitiful because she's not. There's no self pity in that animal, right? right. It, it's all about, um, it's all about empowerment. It's all about making the best with, uh, with uh, what you, what she got. And yeah. so, I mean, uh, so many times it's just an observation, or, or spending time with Annie is getting closure. Um, and then, and then that, you know, most times the students begin to share what some of the things that they could be okay with, right? Or we, we create a prompt and we do a little council circle and we say, well, this is the principle. We just, we just saw Annie. What are you, what, you know, what have you seen there? What are you learning? How can you apply it in life? And then, I mean, the thing that comes out of this kid's mouth is mind blowing. Yeah. Well, they they have they have the potential in them and I think often humans are complicated and we make it more complicated for each other whether as parents yeah. or peers or teachers or you know we add all these um limitations for each other. So this sounds like a very freeing process. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, my, my, my teacher called said, uh, you know, we have a very pure, um, poor use of our imagination. We use our imagination to create uh, horror stories in our head instead of, you know, possibility and creativity. Yeah. So you have, you have another principle, I believe, which is that wolves are into being, not doing. Is that a separate principle? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's another principle, and that principle, um, you know, when uh, when people watch uh, wolf documentaries, uh, you know, we are we are creatures of entertainment, and we we like to follow a fast moving thing. So the documentaries are usually uh, focused on the hunt, the fight, the growling, the blah blah blah. You know, the, the migrations, a lot of action, but in reality, wolves spend all spend most of their time just being, you know, uh, I mean, they're very, very uh, efficient with their energy and their time. So they hunt maybe once a week or a couple of times a week, or, and, and if they can avoid a fight with a neighboring pack, they will. But all these things that are portrayed usually in documentaries are the exception, not the everyday activity. And, and when you, I mean, I go to Yellowstone National Park a few times a year to observe wolves in the wild. And most of the time, you're observing wolves sleeping, or you're observing wolves, you know, gently playing with each other, or you're observing, you know, they sit on top of a rock or on top of a hill, and they just sit and they spend hours just contemplating the vista. So being, you know, we, we have become, you know, human doings instead of human beings. So what we do with the kids at the ranch is that we, we tell them this and they begin observing the wolves and then we, we get a few wolves, we leash them and we go for a long hike with the students and we hike to a mountain top and then at the top of the mountain we see for about 30 minutes, sometimes longer and, and the instruction is like, you're now going to sit in an area, you know, overlooking the vista and you're just going to be. There's nothing to think about, there's nothing to plan, there's nothing to do. There's nothing, it's just be, and the wolves usually sit next to them, so they just be together, uh, contemplating, you know, feeling the wind in their face, 
contemplating how the the sun hits the different you know uh, blades of grass. Just be, and that alone. I mean, uh, many times it's so simple, and many times at the end of the program, the youth said that that was the moment where everything changed for them. Yeah, I think just being has to be one of the most difficult things for humans to do. Uh, we just we just don't really uh, do that. We're always doing, <laughs> even in those yeah. words, we're we're doing. Um, and you also talk a little bit about. Obviously, you're working with wolves, but you also talk about animals in general, because as you were describing this interaction with the wolves and taking the hike and um, sitting with them, I'm reminded about, um, I personally had a cat for many, many years, and that's what the cat would do. He would he would sit and he would be, and um, it, it was a great example of how to be at peace. Um, and that actually leads me to another thought, which was, I believe this is another principle that you talk about, that wolves let go of the past and make room for new things. Um, it's a, is it a short-term memory thing? You know, they don't hold on to uh, grudges or they don't, um, they don't remember what horrible thing just happened and they can go on from this present moment forward. No, it's not. It's not actually. They, they remember everything, you know, through scent and through experience. Okay. They they can remember. Sometimes, uh, you know, we rescue a wolf, and years later, their previous owner comes to visit them, and they remember them like they was a day ago. So it's not a memory thing. It's okay. that they, in my observation, I mean, this is this is for again, like you just said, for all animals. It's just the wolf is a. Evolutionary speaking, in our, in, you know, to our history, is the one that is positioned the best uh, to teach us this. So this is uh, the difference: is they have a an their past. In my observation, their past is used as a reference point. So if they go into this direction, and then there is a, you know, a hunter or a, or a cliff, or I mean, they're just not going to go back that way. Okay. But the the negative experience doesn't create create an emotional blockage like it is for us. I mean we get we okay. get imprinted. I mean and, and they get imprinted too. I mean so so some of the I mean it's not an instant process. Some of the animals that have come to us, some of them take six months, some of them take a year to get over let's say fear of men or fear uh -huh. of uh, being leashed or being approached by a person. Okay. Some of them have been beaten up and hurt. So so it's a blanket statement, but at some point, they have a way to shake it off and to test it again and begin to differentiate that the person that abused them a year ago is not the same person that they have in front of them. Okay. And, and, and it's, obvious, it's obvious, but for many of the youth that I work with, they've been abused, neglected, abandoned by adults, and then any adult is off you know, out of the question. I mean, they just don't want to interact with anybody. And then and, and humans, we do create this blanket statement, like, I don't trust anybody, or I hate men, or I hate women, or I, you know, we have this blanket statement, I hate people, right? So, right. Uh, and, and, then, and then that we act from there without even giving it a chance. 
right? And then we need to go through these extensive years and years and years of therapy in order to try to get over some of the things when the wolf had a more somatic, more um, emotional, uh, pliable way to, to get over these things. Oh, that's a great explanation. So, you know, Teo, we could talk for forever about this. This is a fascinating topic, but we have about a, a minute or so left in which I'd love if you could um, share uh, just how people can reach you and maybe a little bit about your organization and um, how they can get your book and those sorts of details, if you would share with the listeners, please. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for that. So the book was released by Simon & Schuster, so it's available at any online or brick-and-mortar book retailer. Um, The proceeds go to support the nonprofit and uh, and really lays out the the philosophy of what what we do and what we stand for. In terms of uh, wolfconnection.org, the nonprofit organization that that has uh, given birth to the book, it is a non-profit. Uh, we exist thanks to the generosity of thousands of donors that support us every year. So there are many, many ways that uh, if your donors connect with what, we, what, what they just heard, they can go to the website, wolfconnection.org. Um, they can volunteer. Of course, uh, any donation is always appreciated. They can introduce us to their kids' uh, school so they can come to a visit. I mean, a number of ways we do corporate programs. Uh, that helps subsidize uh, the, the youth program. So we do um, uh, leadership and team building. And then personally, I do, uh, you know, two or three times a year, I do retreats where I take this to the next level for people that are typically teachers themselves or therapists themselves, and we really dive deep. Uh, and that's at uh, uh, com. That sounds wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing all that information. And thank you so much for joining us today on Perspectives. I've been talking to Teo Altero about wolves as a model for social interaction and how we as humans can learn from them. So be sure to check out his book, uh, The Wolf Connection, and his website. So this is Dr. Vidisha Patel, your host for Perspectives. I look forward to being back with you next week for another edition. Feel free to email me at drvforkids at yahoo.com with any questions or comments. Have a wonderful week. Until next time. Thank you for listening to our program this week. Another edition of Perspectives with Dr. Vidisha Patel can be heard next Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Until we talk again, have a lovely week.